Alright, here we go. Three, two, one. This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for Chip Chat. We're joined by journalist Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hello. So it's a busy day on Capitol Hill today exploring some of the ways that the federal government has responded to the uprising. There was a hearing examining the events on June 1st in Lafayette Park where we saw federal officers uh, gas and beat peaceful protesters to allow Trump to have a photo op in front of a church. And then there was a broader hearing in the House Judiciary Committee, uh, just basically a a, a a judiciary oversight hearing featuring William Barr, the attorney general. Um, I saw I watched the hearing today. Uh, I know you've watched been watching the hearing chip. Sam Knight's been watching the uh, hearing about the events in Lafayette Square. Um, I saw some pretty disturbing things go down in the hearing with Barr. Uh, Chip, I'll let you just lead us off with uh, some of the takeaways. It's still going on now at the time of our recording, but so far, some of the stuff that uh, you've taken away from it. Yeah, I mean, it's Barr coming for an oversight of the Department of Justice hearing. Obviously, the big thing on everyone's mind is... Um, bar, the bar's role in uh, the dispersal of protesters in Lafayette Park on June the 1st. There was another hearing about that happening at the same time where I believe the head of the national D.C. National Guard contradicted uh, some of the claims of the Trump administration. And, you know, also some people want to talk about Roger Stone for some reason, but um, as well as what's happening in Portland where DHS officers are being dispersed and are... Uh, behaving abhorrently, and the sort of expansion of Operation Legend, this sort of DOJ program to send federal police to originally Kansas City, Missouri, and now Albuquerque and Chicago. So those are the sort of the big the big items. The Democrats, the ones who were on task, were sort of fairly decent about pressing the idea that Barr was or the DHS officer attacking peaceful protesters and, um, um, you know, and the, his role in clearing the protesters from Lafayette park. Some of the Democrats went off about Roger Stone, which whatever, uh, one spent his entire questioning period talking about statements that Trump, a uh, bar had made that the Trump had done a superb job handling COVID, which is an idiotic remark, but, I don't know if I had five minutes to talk to the Attorney General of the United States, if that's how I would spend them. Uh, and the Republicans did sort of what the Republicans always do. They went down on this narrative that there are violent anarchists attacking the courthouse. They asked Barr what kind of weapons did the protesters have. They had laser pointers and rifles and slingshots. And, you know, they were attacking the courthouse. And if they burned down the Capitol again, like they did in 1812... The Democrats would support that. Um, well, some. Well, not them. I'm not a Democrat, so. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I mean, it's an absurd remark. Um, and then Jim Jordan just started off with spying. That's what this is about. This is about the fact that the Obama-Biden Department of Justice spied on Trump, and you had the courage to call that out. 
And it's like, well, Jim Jordan, if you are concerned with FBI political spying, I have an entire report you should read. Got a podcast um, uh, for you. I have a podcast. Jim. I have a number of things, Jim Jordan. If you're listening to this, actual spying you could be concerned about. I, I, I would welcome. I would welcome Jim Jer- Jordan's concern. Uh, and then he played this bizarre video of you know protesters vandalizing things while CNN and other news reporters just used the word peaceful protest. It wasn't even like whole clips. It was just different people saying the word peaceful protest while like things are on fire. I, I, I'm not 100% sure what I was supposed to take away from that. The media is lying, I guess. Um, the protesters are violent anarchists. CNN is pro-anarchist. I, 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 don't, I don't know what goes on in Jim Jordan's mind. Um... I mean, the hearing basically went on like that. I mean, that's probably still going on like that, right? You know, Republicans are okay with, you know, tear-gassing peaceful protesters. They want to paint them all as violent anarchists. Some Democrats are not. Uh, We have the same sort of Russiagate back and forth we've had for, I don't know, has it been 25,000 years at this point? Um and, and, you know, when I was watching the uh, Natural Resources Committee hearing on the Park Police, it was sort of a similar exchange where the Democratic chair was very sort of forceful in condemning these attacks on peaceful protesters. And the Republicans kept coming back, like, well, they're violent, well, they're violent. And they kept being like, well, were there any acts of violence against the Park Police ever? Uh, they claim so, oh, so that's why they cleared the park. And then the Democrats would be like, well, did these acts occur? Like, right when you cleared the park? And they're like, no, but just in the general time frame of life. Uh, during the natural resources. <laughs> I mean, and the one Democrat was like, you know, I was a, a soldier, I guess, in Iraq. And, you know, we were shot at every day. And the next day we had to go out and do patrols. We couldn't, like, count having been shot at the previous day as, like, reason to shoot things now um which was an interesting remark for a number of reasons and, and they asked the park police guy was this a peaceful protest it's no this is one of the most violent protests i've ever seen and they asked him well what were the other most what was the other most recent violent protests you had seen and he said occupy dc <laughs> what violence took place during o- i don't even think like petty vandalism happened during Occupy DC. The cops beat people up. (laughs) And he, yeah, they did, yeah. And then he said the World Bank protests, which, as we know, were infamous police riots that got the city sued a bunch of times, so they actually amended their code. (laughs) The DC law was changed in order to try to get, like, less lawsuits against the MPD because they kept, like, beating up World Bank protesters and, like, random teenagers on bicycles. Yeah, uh, Monahan, the acting chief, uh, he came. He struck me as a huge coward <laughs> because when he was listing all the uh, terrible injuries that happened to Park police officers, they like, you know, he's like, one guy got hit in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he said that. <laughs> he did. Well, he didn't say the nuts. He said he, said he got hit in the testicles uh, with a brick. Which, for the record, I kind of doubt that. Like, well, we did. We but saw... anyway, it, 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 there was also a, an interesting moment in the hearing, and this was already reported um, before the hearing, um, which is that the park police's radio transmissions mysteriously yeah. disappeared 
during a critical moment of this operation. And conveniently, this helped bolster the narrative that um, their decision to clear the park had nothing to do with any sort of orders from above. Uh, they claim they kept written logs of what was being said on the radio. Just trust us. We wrote it all down. Very sketchy. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I caught that part of the hearing, too, and I'd forgotten about it until you just mentioned it. And even though I made a note, like, mentioned this on Chip Chat. But, like, <laughs> the fact that the audio recordings are missing is, like, extraordinarily concerning, I would say. Sketchy. And I mean, like, I, I, the metadata is already strong enough, right? Like, there was no violence from the crowd at the time of the uh, dispersal order. The, you know, 30 minutes later was when curfew was supposed to start. Um, and then the fence. And the fence. And it just so happens that um, the radio transmissions go and also... By the way, after this dispersal happens, the president is just taking a, a photo op in front of the church. Yeah. Um, not at all related. It's all, it all has to do with the security and safety of, of, of the nation, really. I mean, the claim that they seem to be making is they did not disperse the crowd so the president could have a photo op in front of a church where he waved a Bible after, I believe, tear gassing one of the clergy members of the church, but that they had to disperse people in order to build this fence or put this fence up but the fence material did not come until nine o'clock at night uh the curfew was not until seven o'clock the dispersal was done at 6 30 it's pretty clear no one could hear a dispersal order i mean tear gassing people to put a fence up when the materials hadn't come before a curfew isn't exactly a great look either um, but during the bar hearing, I mean, I forget who it was, they kept asking Barr, like, would you have had to have dispersed the crowd for Trump to walk across? And Barr just kept going, I didn't disperse the crowd. I was like, that's fine, but would you have had to have done so? And Barr, of course, would not answer that question. And the answer is obviously you would have had to disperse that crowd in order for Trump to walk across and wave a Bible around. And lo and behold, they dispersed them. They dispersed them quite violently. Trump, you know, walks across, waves the Bible around. The fencing material, which is the sort of the ex post facto justification, does not arrive anywhere in the time frame that they're now citing. And the audio recordings are missing. And there was no violence in that immediate moment. And, you know... Curfew wasn't in, in effect yet. You know, lots of lots of interesting bits of information there. Yeah, watching, the metadata seems to align right there, as they say. Watching the bar hearing, I got the sense that you're starting to see the groundwork laid to escalate federal violence against the left. I, I found it strange that Barr, like, bothered to not find it strange, but of course he would. But he's defending the DHS actions, the illegal arrests that Department of Homeland Security, where we've seen people kidnapped on the streets and thrown in vans, uh, bar defending that, saying that that's legitimate, even though it's not his department. Uh, I guess I guess he could 
bring charges against it. So maybe that's why he is uh, I think what defending, he's defending it. Is that as part of Operation Legend, Barr is the supervisor of Operation Legend, and there will be DHS officers acting in that under yeah. Barr's command. Well, also Barr so claiming Barr is sort of the Dick Cheney of the Trump administration, right? He's this guy who has this long sort of. Um, not behind the scenes, but not necessarily out front history in the U.S. security state. He's long been a sort of advocate of sort of expansive executive powers. He was in the CIA. He was a counter protester during the Columbia student uprising. He's the person who writes the legal memo or is partially responsible for the legal memorandum justifying the legal authorization for the U.S. invasion of Panama. Uh, George H.W. Bush asked him, can he attack Iraq without without congressional authorization? Uh, Barr tells this story in this dramatic way. He was putting on his tie and I guess watching C-SPAN and a Republican came on the floor of the Senate and said, no one would ever say the president could attack Iraq without congressional authorization. Anyone who says that should be disbarred. And Barr, um, you know, stresses this is a Republican so then he puts on his tie and goes to see George H.W. Bush and tells him, oh, yes, you can attack Iraq without congressional authorization. And then he proudly designs what's called the bootstrap theory for, for the first Gulf War. When the first Gulf War was authorized by Congress, uh, George H.W. Bush does not go the bar route. But, you know, Barr comes up with this theory called the bootstrap theory, which is that you can put the troops in, I guess, like Saudi Arabia or Kuwait and then say, well, it's likely that the Iraqi government will use chemical weapons against them and therefore have to take preventative military action before Congress can be called to authorize it, like literally putting troops supposedly in harm's way, knowing they'll be harmed, and then you know saying, oh, we don't have time to contact Congress. Uh, so that's who Barr is, right? And well, that's, he is- that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting comparison and spot on. I haven't heard that comparison made. They also have the same sort of affect when they're speaking. Uh, in testifying that sort of like hunched over kind of quiet talk uh, matter of fact speaking but saying really demented stuff while they're while they're doing it and we saw Barr at today's hearings make several claims one that more police have been injured than protesters during all this which is just completely absurd uh, considering the number of people that we've seen get beaten in the streets by cops I guess they're only counting that because cops if they trip on their bicycle they go to the hospital and it gets counted whereas lots of people get clubbed over the head and don't end up going to the hospital there but also bar claiming that three agents got permanently blinded uh in portland he's a qualifier it's like i think he said yeah he said uh some agents perhaps have been permanently blinded um which obviously means they haven't been permanently blinded Previous statement from the White House seven days ago were likely permanently blinded. I feel like seven days into this, we would know whether or not right. they were permanently blinded. It would not be but, maybe or likely. Right. The, um, I, the, 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 point, like though, the point, though, is to get across that we're dealing with a very uh, violent, dangerous mob that is blinding officers and beating officers. And then you have Louis Gohmert, who comes on and says, you know, quote, are, are, isn't this a try, long tried tactic by Marxists to provoke police into killing people to then start uh, a riot? And Barr's like, yes, 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which suggests to me that they're just getting ready to start killing people and use that as the legal justification for it. Or not legal justification, but at least the PR justification is the protesters are causing this. Yeah, I mean, Gomar started up on the Bolshevik Revolution and the quote-unquote <laughs> Mao Revolution. As soon as he said, um, brought up 1917, my ears perked up. I'm like, all right, let's see where Louis going with this. And uh, sure enough, it was as so demented as I thought it'd be. Things. He's like, oh, people blame Trump for spreading COVID. Should we stop the protest so people don't blame Trump for spreading COVID? It's like no one has blamed Trump for spreading COVID, Louis Gomer. They blamed him for having an incompetent response. And then he's on television going, and then I said, slow down the testing. Um, well, I mean, to be fair, I, I would blame Trump also for spreading it, considering his Tulsa rallies and uh, yeah, his uh, his fair. Mount Rushmore rallies, too. It does seem like they don't care. Gomer was describing, though, it sounded like the Democrats were saying, like, Trump was wandering yeah. around with a spray bottle pool. <laughs> it sounded like it was like the most bad faith characterization of the other side position you can imagine. Um, which is Louis Gomar used to be a federal judge. Fun fact. <laughs> uh, during one of the FBI oversight hearings, when he was really indignant about the FISA warrant, he's like, "When I was an FBI, when I was an F when I was a federal judge, I always knew I could believe everything the FBI told me. Now I'm shocked to learn that FBI agents are lying to judges." And it's like, you know, this is part of the problem: is that people like you are judges, and they believe the <laughs> FBI is, you know, always truthful. Maybe you shouldn't have been a federal judge, Louis Gomar. He's such an asinine, just frustrating character. Yeah. Yeah. Chip, uh, any any final thoughts uh, on uh, the hearings on on Tuesday and uh, stuff we should keep an eye out. For? I mean, I, I think I think you're 100 percent right, Sam. I think this is clearly there paving the way for a crackdown against the left. Um, I mean, it's I mean, always been in place, but I guess like a new. Or at least an escalation in what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's normalization it's, it's, of these sort of kidnappings and uh, more federal officers' uh, presence in major cities, confronting protests. Yeah, and I mean, the question is, is how much of an escalation is there going to be? How much of this is just more of the same with extra bluster? I, I don't, I don't know. I believe Trump told Sean Hannity he was going to send. 75,000 law enforcement officers to American cities. And then someone pointed out that the last count of federal law enforcement, there was only 100,000 in the entire country. Um, <laughs> so I guess 75% of all law enforcement are going to be policing urban America for Sean Hannity's audience. I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, and, and that's sort of the problem with, with Trump. I mean, he gives off these sort of like Franco vibes when he's talking sometimes, but like, what percent of it is, is bluster versus which percentage of it is a really serious threat. It's, it's, it's difficult to know sometimes. Chip Gibbons, when he's not doing chip chat, he is the policy director over at Defending Rights and Dissent. And he also has his own podcast out there. Thank it's you. called Still Spying. And you're still making new episodes, right? We are. A new episode just came out today on Tuesday. It is part one of a three-part exploration of the FBI's war on black descent. We have Professor Gerald Horn as our guest, and we talk about the way in which anti-communism was used during the early Cold War to sort of divide the civil rights movement and liquidate its radical wing. The next episode will appear in two weeks, 
and we'll be joined by Jeffrey Boss, who knew Fred Hampton when he was alive and was the lawyer who represented the survivors of the raid that killed Fred Hampton. And in that suit, it ultimately exposed the role of the FBI's Pro program in what was probably a political assassination. Sounds like essential listening, especially for those who can't get enough of Chip from their weekly yes. Chip Chat dose. I, I, I say very little on this podcast. I mostly let, let the guest talk. Really? You know, I, did, I find that I hard not, to believe. Well, Sam, maybe if you knew Fred Hampton, you know, and uh-huh. had spent a decade exposing Queen Pro, I would I would allow you to speak. Um, Damn. Harsh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to talk over the guy who knew Fred Hampton. Chip. Like, I read a Wikipedia article once. Chip. Chip. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much for doing this again. Thank you for having me.